205. Still alive. Woo! Oh, you didn't like of, the, you didn't of, like the no, woo? No, I, I oh, lost okay. track. I did that stay live bit. Yeah, of you did. The All the Books show. Yeah. Recorded at the David A. Hale Public Library. We talk book news, author news, and literary news. And we also talk to authors from across the pond. We sure do. We're it's gonna be talking. Yeah, it's a full ocean. Oh, thank the Atlantic. you. I'm glad that you clarified because I, it can be misleading. Back in my hometown of Haverhill, Massachusetts, yes, we had ponds. Yeah, and if somebody was just across that pond, it'd be easy. I would just be like, "How's it going?" And they would you just could like, throw a frisbee. Yeah, but yeah, we could play frisbee. We could not throw a frisbee to Lauren James, the author no. that we're talking to today, because she is in the UK. So yes, you know. Uh, but we did have a great interview with Lauren. She's the author of many books, including The Loneliest Girl in the Universe, which is our YA for Adults book club mm-hmm. that we're focusing on this month. So was, we had a great chat with her, and we're going to get into that a little later. Question. Yes. Is Frisbee an international sport, hmm. or is it just like bros in American colleges? Like I don't if, know. If we went across the pond to I'd play Frisbee. Wait, a literal pond or the ocean? The ocean. The pond. ocean. Okay, yes. Would are they playing frisbee in UK? Well, that's a question we should have put to Lauren James, but I we w- didn't. I just didn't have it. We planned, didn't. Yeah. We talked about other things. I'll so. look it up right now. You, okay. you keep introing stuff. I will. Uh, yes. So we're going to talk about our bookmark right now. This is the part of the show where we tell you what we've been reading and uh, tell you what we think of it. I had a pretty productive week, mostly in comic books and graphic novels, because I somehow threw out my back because I'm 150 years old and was pretty much stuck on a couch. So I read a lot of comic books. So I just condensed to the ones that I think would be the maybe the most interesting. And so I'm going to talk about that. Are you ready for me to talk about my bookmark, Eric? I guess it's in the Olympics. Fris- Ultimate Frisbee. Ultimate Frisbee is in the Olympics. It says it's recognized by the International oh. Olympic wow. Committee, eligible for... 2024 Olympics. What a time to be alive. So there We're you living go. it. Yeah. We're living it right now. <laughs> I read a lot of 90s Robin comics, including <laughs> Robin 3000, which was crazy. But I'm not going to talk about that now. Are there 3,000 Robins or is it the year 3,000? It's set in the year 3,000. So he okay. fights the Battlefield Earth crew. And oh, no, he doesn't really. I finished Night of the Monster Men, which is uh, the rebirth volume of ba- Batman. It's kind of a Batman team book. The first one... Uh, which I don't remember what it was called. The first one was really good. Volume two here was kind of a clunker, so I didn't like that. He's always dealing with monster men. He is. Batman. Was I Hugo know. Strange in this? No, he wasn't. That's okay. It was just weird, gross monsters. It was a very gross book. We do have it in the collection, though. I read volume one of Justice League Rebirth, uh, Extinction Machines. Again, not a very good book. <sighs> they couldn't really manage all of the characters. So not a it, good run. It fell pretty flat. All seven volumes, absolute garbage. Are they? Yeah. Really? I didn't like a single one. Oh, that's that's sorry. Too bad. That's hard to hear. <laughs> I'm also reading a lot of Superman and uh, Green Lantern and Aquaman. A lot of things on my DC app. They've gotten it together, so I'm doing <laughs> a lot of that. So I'll I'll update you as I finish these Get uh, collections. Get yourself DC app. Uh, I read a few things, a few regular books, uh, including. Well, this is a script. I read As You Like It by an uh, upcoming. It's never funny. It's never funny to be like an upcoming. Your new, email called him Bill. Shakespeare. Maybe you've heard of him, Mr. Bill Shakespeare. Yeah. I read As you like it by William Shakespeare because we're having Shake on the Lake who they got their start in Perry and they're just branching out. They're oh, just, uh, I they're thought they're they were spreading like a, like a disease or a fungus. Uh, they're going to be doing a production in Angelica and they're also going to be doing a production right here on our front lawn. Thanks to Catherine Ross and many other uh, supporters around the community. The library is partnering with them to bring Shake on the Lake. So we're going to be presenting that August 5th uh, right out on the front lawn and that is As You Like It. So I, I had never read this before. Yeah. I was not really familiar with this story do you do you i don't know, know if I, well i don't know i feel like I, this is not going to be a hot take here because this is a very old play but i feel like shakespeare much like cilantro is a situation where you either like it or you don't cilantro the 
food? Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's no in-between. You know what I mean? You either like it or you don't. So for me, I feel like as you like it, uh, a, lot of, a lot of cleverness, a lot of wittiness in there, which you'd expect from Shakespeare, it's really not a story. I think calling it a story is uh, stretching it a little <laughs> bit. But I think, you know, stylistically, if, if you like that, then this will be as you like it. But for me, <gasps> Shakespeare tastes Very like nice. soap. Uh, I, I also read Being John Lennon by Ray Connolly. I guess I thought As You Like It had been adapted into some kind of like teen comedy. I don't think it has. Not, it, I no. can't find one. No. So there's a 2006 film yeah. by Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. That's I don't all. think it's one of the... Yeah, it, no. There's not a ton of adaptations. Bryce Dallas Howard. She's not really. British. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Being John Lennon by Ray Connolly. So this is... There are lots of John Lennon uh, biographies out there. Is this about an up-and-coming musical artist? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot out there. Um, there are a lot that are much more detailed and much more... Uh, I, I don't want to say scholarly, but I guess that's maybe true. But that's not a dig at this book. It's just okay. some of the books are really, really... Uh, put a lot in like and on tuesday july 19th of this year this exact thing happened and this was a little bit more of an overview a little bit more um uh, you know kind of more of an intimate nuanced look and as somebody who's read beetle biographies and lennon biographies i know the story so i didn't really need like a step-by-step hand-holding kind of thing so i really appreciated the author's approach to this he knew john lennon um he's a pretty successful no one really knows john lennon that's true (laughs) pretty successful rock uh, biographer he has a well-received elvis book that came out a few years back but this to me i thought was a much more personal account and actually one that left me feeling sad and upset because lennon's post-beta life and career just mired in yoko ono and bad decisions and, and heroin you could have just said bad so, decisions you're right <laughs> you didn't have to lay them all out there you're right for everyone. <laughs> uh and so that it ends on such a like man if only mm-hmm. kind of thing you know so uh, and i have not been impacted like that on the other lennon things that i've read before so i think that's a testament to ray Connolly's writing and the approach he took as someone who knew him and is also a fan and a fan of the beatles so this was well done i thought it was fair to everybody it didn't it didn't villainize paul mccartney as uh, Philip Norman would do. It didn't. It didn't really even villainize Yoko Ono. Um, it just kind of stated out the facts. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you interpreted that as her being villainous, yeah, his, then history does. That's just the facts speaking. Uh, <laughs> please don't sue me, Yoko Ono. And then, uh, on a lighter note, I read Rocket and Groot Stranded on Planet Strip Mall to my five-year-old son. So this is a Guardians of the Galaxy book, and it's all just dialogue. You have Groot's dialogue, which consists of him saying, I am Groot. Uh-huh. Uh, it has Rocket's dialogue, and then they have a magical tape dispenser that they're going through with. It's a very goofy book. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy it myself, but my son loved it. All the humor worked for him. The illustrations worked for him. Everything was just right. So mm. this is a hardcover, a junior-level book. Um, there is a sequel coming out, which I've implored our uh, youth librarian to order for the library so I could read it to my son. Why are you pointing at me? But because you're the youth librarian. <gasps> head of youth services. Congratulations. It's on your name tag. Oh, my gosh. I know. Uh, so that's it. That's it for me. I'm currently reading Paths of Disharmony. This is another of the Star Trek uh, Typhon Pack Yeah, question books. about this uh, cover. Oh, uh, yeah. Who's this green lady with the spaghetti hair? Andorian. She's an Andorian. Okay. Yep. I haven't really gotten to that part yet. It looks like somebody started. had a colander of pasta, of pasta. and just <laughs> spilt it yeah, on her well, head as a prank. What are you going to do? She's like, "This is my look now." So this, <laughs> <laughs> so that's me. I also have to read uh, the House on Mango Street for our uh, huh. Around the World book club. I haven't started that one yet. Uh, I've got the audio book, and I've got a couple of long drives, so I'm going to pound through it like that. How long is the Typhoon Pact? I feel like you've been. I've it's been a lot of books. Ta- yeah. It's a long series. It okay. is. It's a long series. 
Uh, I think I'm winding down on okay. that now. But I've got to read The House on Mango Street. Mm. Um, I've got a whole list. We've got, um, well, I don't know. We've okay. got a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of stuff <laughs> we have to do. I also, and this is not book related, but mm-hmm. I feel like I want to tell you uh-huh. and some of our listeners who might be interested. I beat Mega Man 2. That's a big deal. Classic. Is that Super NES by that point? No, that's NES. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry I said Super NES. No, it's I don't okay. know why I did that. But. It's fine. So that's classic NES. Yeah. So when do we switch to the Super Nintendo? Uh, Mega Man Seven? Seven. Yeah. Wow. Okay. They put out six Mega Mans on the Nintendo Entertainment Wowzer. System. Okay. Mega Man X is born on the Super Nintendo. Pretty exciting. So yeah, Mega okay. Man Two is one of the uh, most loved NES games. Of it's all time. a lot of fun. Yeah. I, and again, I never played Mega Man before. Yeah. I played these two games. So uh, looking forward to the pack I got has the first six. Mm. I don't know why. Yeah. Six. Six. Yeah. Yeah, that makes so, sense. That's me. That's that's what yeah. I've been up to. Mega Man Two has one of the best soundtracks. Did I ever. mention I threw it my back? Because that's been you did mention you threw it very unpleasant. But you probably forgot because you're 150 years 100, old. 150 yeah. years old. Yep. When I threw up my back All yesterday, right. we know Nick. That's it for me. Oh. What have you What have you been up to? Uh, I beat Mega Man Two. You did not. No, I didn't. Well, you that did, right? A while ago, like long time ago, early 90s. Didn't maybe? I share the T-shirt story? You did. Yeah. Yeah. Tough times. Uh, I saw a movie. What'd you see? Once upon a time in Hollywood. Did you put the pause in there because of the ellipses? Yeah, because of the ellipses. Okay. I don't know how you're supposed to No, I appreciate that. Yeah. That was good. So And? Uh it was good. Okay. I think I was I think I was expecting it to be a little bit funnier on a more consistent basis. Okay. But it was funny. Uh it was enjoyable. Okay. It was late, so I was a bit tired. All right. Uh the ending is brutal. Uh, but for different reasons than maybe you might think. Okay. Uh, so I had my eyes closed during the oh. violence at the end. Okay. And I would not open them even if you paid me. So, do you think I can make it through this movie? So, because I I do want to see it, but I'm I don't know very afraid. I don't think you'd like it. You don't think I would? No. <laughs> All right. I think you. I think there's a point where you'd want to just stop. Yeah. Have somebody else fast forward yeah. and then summarize. Okay. And then hit play, and okay. then you'd be fine. Okay. Um. Well. But uh, yeah. I mean, the movie's funny. Uh, it's enjoyable. My wife really, really liked it. Um, Leo DiCaprio is actually very funny in this okay. because he's playing like a washed up uh, television actor. Oh. Uh, so he, he used to be like a star of these like old Western, black and white Westerns that were on TV, one called like Bounty Law. Mm-hmm. Then he tried to have a movie career and now he's kind of just, people are just casting him as like the villains in new Western shows as like the heavy. Right. So he's trying to he's break just free. Doing, right. Brad Pitt's just his like laid back driver who used to be a stuntman. Okay. So it's it's enjoyable. How was Luke Perry? That's that's what I really. It's a know. very quick cameo. Quick? How yeah. quick? Very quick. Like he, five seconds quick? No, like I mean, a he scene. Can, yeah, he's got a scene. He's got a scene. Okay. Um, I think I would have liked this movie more if it was just about Luke Perry, their lives know what you mean. in Hollywood, and it had nothing to do with the Manson cult. Yeah, actually, like, I was kind of late to the table and realizing it was a Manson yeah. movie. Yeah, it's not a Manson. It's much more about just DiCaprio and Brad Pitt doing right. their Hollywood lives. Right. But the Manson stuff is in there, and I feel like it would have been—I would have enjoyed it more without mm. the Manson stuff. Okay, so well, maybe I'll see it someday. I yeah. don't know. Uh, I read some graphic novels. I read some. I read We Three, which is about three animals wearing biomechanical suits, and they can also talk. And they get—they're uh, freed from the government facility that they're inside of, and they're being chased after, and they unleash some destruction. And then a giant mastiff is released with a, his own mech suit. And it's vicious, and uh, it's a little sad at times. There's hmm. a rabbit, a cat, and a dog. Okay. And the dog sometimes is like, good dog, because they, they talk in very abbreviated sentences. So it's like, good dog, question mark. Right. It's like, yeah, buddy, you're a good dog. That's cute. No. Kind of sad. No, it's brutal. Oh, okay. There, there's so much gore. 
Oh, jeez. It's, it's uh, it's very the the gore is like done in these small boxes, but when you just look at them, you're like, oh my gosh, uh, the cat is. I wouldn't want to deal with a cat in a mech suit. Okay. Yeah. yeah no. I, no. Thank you. I read We Stand on Guard by, oh, I should have said We Three was by Grant Morrison, in case you were wondering why it was so weird. <laughs> but Now I get it. Uh, we Stand on Guard by Brian K. Vaughn. This is about, uh, this is set in like 21. Where, how, how are you, can I, can I just ask before you uh-huh. go on, how are you getting all these? Like, where is this, where's this coming from? Uh, the library. No, no, I mean, like, how are you discovering them? Like, are you working through some list? Are you working through, like, an author? Uh, we Stand on Guard might be Vertigo. No, okay. it's Image. Oh, I, see. I think I was just looking at Brian K. Vaughn books that I hadn't read. We Three is Grant Morrison, and it's a Vertigo title. Okay, so, so, so yeah. The Death of Vertigo is the one that's kind of... That got me to get okay. the We Three. Um, we Stand on Guard is set in 2100. Uh, the United States has invaded Canada, and so we're following... Uh, some Canadian freedom fighters as they stop uh, America from stealing all their fresh water. Hmm. Okay. It's brutal as well. Uh, and I read Descender by Jeff Lemaire. Uh, this is... Oh, I've read some of his stuff. A future world, uh, a sci-fi world about uh, robots coming from the future, destroying everything. And they just... So people destroyed all their robots. Uh, but we're following the story of Tim21, which is a little boy, companion bot, uh, made for children to lay, be like a big brother slash protector. Uh, and so it has a bit of that AI uh, Pinocchio element to it, where the robot is more innocent than all the terrible people around him. I see. So, the interesting batch of things you're reading. Thanks, man. Any novels? You got any novels in the I, pipeline? I was reading Armor. By reading Armor, I mean I started like the prologue, uh-huh. and then I just put it down. Who's that by? Uh, I can't remember. Is Jeff it sci-fi? Beck? Or Jeff Beck. That's not right. Isn't Jeff Beck a <laughs> musician? It is sci-fi. I haven't okay. read... No, I don't have a novel right. at the moment. Well, I, I wasn't trying to novel. shame you. I was just curious. Last novel I finished was Girl at the... I almost said at the end of the universe. Loneliest Girl in the Universe. Oh, yeah. I read that. Yeah. We should talk to the author. Yeah, we should. Okay. Maybe later. Yeah, you're right. All right. Let's do book, book news. Book news. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've got some. No, you don't. I do. No, you don't. Uh, yeah, I do. Do you remember, I a, wi- remember a while back where... Uh, they were kind of throwing shade at Tom Cruise in the with the Lee Child, Jack Reacher stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, they've inked a deal now that there's going to be an Amazon TV show, mm-hmm. Jack Reacher. Right. Not with Tom Cruise. So right. that's going forward. I guess somebody's probably interested in this. Who's the author again? I don't know. Lee Child. Yeah, Lee Child was like, finally, we can get somebody who looks like yeah. Jack Reacher. Yeah. It's like, yeah, somebody that nobody's going to watch. Right, exactly. So. The only reason, those, don't put me in the position yeah. to defend Tom Cruise, but let me just say, <laughs> the only reason that those movies got made, the only reason... In the in any in any stretch of the imagination yeah. that a sequel was made. Yeah. Two words, Tom Cruise. Yeah. How many words is Scientologist? A lot? Yeah. No, you don't want okay. Yeah. No, it's a lot of words. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's coming to Amazon if you happen to care about that. <laughs> uh, and then the other oh. thing Yes. Go I also have some book news. Go I ahead. To mention. Oh, Take well, it. I was just gonna go to the booker list. So oh, so well, um what was I about to say? The trailer for the witcher netflix tv ah. show i guess it's coming out in october yes. or november it looked fine i guess just fine i'm not it, i watched it and i was not thrilled to watch the I show think, i think part of it looked weird because they had to cgi off henry cavill's mustache <laughs> yeah. so but yeah i don't know it's based on the books which is why i bring it up yeah the show but yeah. i don't know it looks fine but okay. it could be just Netflix mediocre. Henry Cavill made me think of Brandon Routh, which made me think of uh, the fact yeah. that Brandon Routh is going to be playing Superman again Yay. in the uh, I- uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover over on the CW. Yeah. And the word is he's going to be playing the Kingdom, Kingdom Come. Come. 
mm-hmm. version of by Mark that. Wade C- and co-written by uh, Elliot S. Magan. So you can yeah. you can listen to our interview with Elliot a while back. But so that's exciting, right? I don't know much yeah. about Kingdom Come. I've never read it. I've read it. Do you think I like it? Maybe. Okay. It's, I think it was kind of making fun of how grim and gritty. 90s comics had gotten at the time okay. like there's a character in there called magog i think that was his name who's basically drawn to uh resemble cable mm-hmm. of the x-men okay who was like the epitome of like right. the 90s yeah so he's just covered in like a big helmet shoulder pads and guns and everything so i think maybe you'd like that okay so uh maybe i'll check it out alex, alex ross alex ross did a yeah. did an image of brandon ralph as that superman oh, he put yeah. out like on social media and stuff so if you're an alex ross fan or a brandon ralph fan you could check that out do you out. think alex ross just had a, a brandon ralph superman locked drawing just loaded. locked and loaded no i don't think so i think it's new just in it, case. i'm excited about that because i love brandon ralph as superman so i'm excited but that's not really book news isn't he coming over to your house for thanksgiving he is we're gonna spend thanksgiving together <laughs> just me and brandon ralph okay. <laughs> i hope he can cook <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now we're going to look at the the Booker Prize. So you might be thinking, uh, uh, Nick, it's the Man Booker Prize. Well, that's where you're wrong, Tiger, because uh, now... Welcome to the 60s. It's just the Booker Prize. As, as it happens, as we saw with the Bailey's Prize for Women's Fiction, like. the, the primary sponsors of these occasionally change, and then the name changes as well. So it's the, it's the same old Man Booker Prize you've always loved mm-hmm. with a new, sleeker title, the Booker yeah. Prize. So here's the long list for the Booker Prize. So we will we'll follow this and we'll tell you when they're gonna when it's gonna go down to the short list and then finally we'll cover the winner as well. But here's a here's a sneak peek at the long list for the 2019 Booker Prize: The Testaments by Margaret Atwood, Night uh, Boat to Tangier by Kevin Barry, My Sister the Serial Killer by uh, Oinika Braithwaite. Was that in that was in the Women's Choice Award? Was the nominees The Testament? Didn't we? No, the My Sister the Serial Killer. Didn't oh yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Ducks Newburyport by Lucy Elman. Hmm. Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evasorito. The Wall by John Lancaster. Uh, That's actually by Roger Waters. I see. Oh, is that a Pink Gilmore. Floyd? Okay. Yes, it is. Right. Hey. Yeah. The Man Who Saw Everything by Ooh. Deborah Levy. You don't want to be that guy. Lost Children Archive by Valeria Lucelli. An Orchestra of Minorities by Chigozi Obiama. Lanny by Max Porter. Quisho by Salman Rushdie. 10 Minutes, 38 Seconds in the Strange World by Elif Shafak. Oh. And ooh, Frankenstein. Oh, let's see. Frankenstein by Jeanette. Frankenstein <laughs> by Jeanette Winterson. So that is the long list of the Booker Prize. And mm-hmm. uh, as I said, it'll go down to a, a short list down the road. And then, of course, we'll cover the winner as well. But that's where we're at right now the old long list. 10 Minutes, 38 Seconds in the Strange World is by Viking. And so it says Viking after it. Oh, yeah. And it made me wish that was part of the title. That it was a Viking. 10 minutes, 38 seconds in the strange world Viking. Like comma Viking. Like comma is it, Viking. Like is it addressing a Viking? <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right. Um, Have you read... You read... No, you didn't read My Sister the Serial Killer. No, I you didn't. You wanted to. Yeah. Or my... I read the winner of the of the women's prize. Okay. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Nick only reads winners. Yeah. Yep. As I'm reading like book six in a Star Trek trilogy that did, I... Did Margaret Atwood's new book like... Totally passed me by. Not that Testaments? I read them. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it. 
um, I think we did was talk it about it, but okay. I, I don't think it was a huge splash yeah. or anything. <laughs> no offense to Margaret Atwood intended. Yeah. Again, Nick only reads the winners. <laughs> <though. Right. laughs> Call me when you win, Marge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we haven't checked in on the old New York Times bestseller list. That's in, true. In a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's right. We've been all over the place. We've we been had, at fairs. Yeah. We've been at... Uh, oh, I th- you s- it sounded like there was going to be more. That's it. That. No, okay. I'm just desperately wishing you'd read that bestseller list. <laughs> that New York list. Times bestseller yeah. list. Okay. Take it away. It is nice coming back to it after so and long. And go. Because things have changed. It begins now. I'm, I'm doing it. That was and me leading into hit it. hit it. I'm, we're here. Engage. Okay. Punch it. <laughs> Thank you, Commander Pike. <laughs> uh, number 10 on the New York Times bestsellers list for hardcover fiction is... It's Mrs. Everything by Jennifer Weiner. I think it is. Okay. Yeah. But let me let me ask you this. Is uh-huh. it Mrs. as in like you're throwing a ball? Oh, they misses everything. Or is it Mrs. as in MRS period? It's Mrs. as in after you s- he's saying like the name is Mr. Big. Okay. She would come and go and Mrs. Everything. MRS. I'm Mrs. Okay. Everything. MRS period. So I guess his okay. name would also be Mr. Everything. Okay. That whole thing just fell apart once I got to the end. Yeah. Uh, the story of two sisters, Joe and Bethy Kaufman, and their life experiences as the world around them changes drastically from the 1950s. This is everything. Welcome to the 60s. Ooh, ooh. Number nine, uh, Evie Drake Starts <laughs> Over by Linda Holmes. In a seaside town in okay. Maine, we got that a much. former major league pitcher and a grieving widow, grieving widow. assesses their past. Oh, that's they it. just have a sit-down chat yeah, about their past. That's pitcher as in like a baseball pitcher. Oh, okay. Like and not a, not a pitcher you would of. fill with Mountain Dew for your baseball team. Yeah. Like the guy throwing the ball. Do you ball. do that? Do you, want, do you have baseball when you're... I mean, do you have, do you have Mountain Dew? you play baseball? No, I mean, that you're a pizza party. Probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. The after, after party. I went to Pizza Hut. Gosh, was it yesterday? Making it no. great. It was Saturday. I, I don't know Pizza when you Hut. I don't know. I got Mountain Dew. I never get Mountain Dew unless I'm already at a place where the food I'm getting is yeah. just already me saying, I don't yeah, care. forget it. So Pizza Hut, yeah, bring me a Mountain Dew. Taco Bell, yeah, I'll get that Baja Blast Mountain would Dew. You, <laughs> would you like to hear a weird fact about me? And Mountain Dew? I prefer Mellow Yellow. Okay. Number eight, Lost and Found by Danielle Steele. A photographer embarks on a road trip to reconnect with three men she might have married. What? What? <laughs> she might have married three men? A photographer embarks on a road trip, road trip to reconnect with three men she might have married. So this is a novelization of Mamma Mia? Uh, number seven, The Chain by Adrian McKitty. Rachel Klein is ensnared in a pay-it-forward criminal enterprise mm. involving ransoms and kidnapping. And Helen Hunt from the movie Pay It Forward. Oh, yeah. I never saw that. What's his name? We're not allowed to say it No, anymore. the kid. I don't know. Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Isn't that a sad movie? Probably. Not to spoil it, but doesn't he get stabbed? I don't know. To death? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, Spoiler warnings geez. for 2001's Pay It, Pay it Forward. forward. <laughs> wow. Uh, number six, Knife. Ooh. Oh, that was a rough, rough transition. Yeah, rough lead. <laughs> I'm just going to take my headphones off. <laughs> All right. Okay. Knife by Joe Nesbo. After Rackle kicks him out, Harold Hole <laughs> begins anew with an Oslo police cold case office. To investigate a serial rapist and a killer from his past. Boy. These books are gritty. Let me tell you what. Nesbo. I know. I've only read the first one, The Bat. Uh-huh. And I was not for me. Yeah. It's not for me. They're immensely popular, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to Michael Fassbender and his <laughs> adaptation, but yeah. well, the they books d- themselves They are didn't popular. give uh, his last name the accent it was supposed to have. I see. So it was just whole. That'll do it. Number five, Backlash by Brad Thor. Cut from any support, Scott Haverth fights to get his revenge. Hate those books. 
Sorry. I've yeah. tried. Lions of Lucerne. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay. Bad. Number four, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. In City of Girls. That's, that's all I had. I was hoping An 89-year-old Vivian Morris looks back at the direction her life took when she entered the 1940s New York theater scene. Hmm. Number three, Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Wow. No, by Ellen Hildebrandt. We're going to see Brian Adams. We are. Technically. And, uh, is it, will Ellen Hildebrand be there? No, I don't think so. Oh. Technically, we got the tickets because I wanted to go see Billy Idol for my birthday. Yeah. And he's with Brian Adams. With Brian Adams. But it's starting to look likely that it's Brian Adams' show with Billy Idol. Wow. And I don't think that's very nice. No, I don't either. How do you decide that kind of thing? Just I don't like know. like sitting in a room being like, look. Yeah. I mean, he's got Summer of 69 and that It's Hard to Believe We're in Heaven song. Yeah. But then Billy Idol's got... Hot in the city. Yeah. So I, th- I think Billy Idol, maybe maybe Brian Adams' staying power was a little mm-hmm. longer, but I think that Billy Idol's has several iconic songs. Yeah. And I think Brian Adams really only has Summer of 69. Yeah. Other ones are like, that you're like, oh, yeah. It's hard to believe we're in heaven. Right. Yeah, but still. that If you're talking about, if you're talking like iconic, I think things like Rebel Yell and White Wedding and all that stuff surpass. Yeah. Dancing with Myself is maybe my favorite Billy Idol song. Yeah. So Brian Adams was into the wedding singer, I'll tell you that. So Summer of 69 by Ellen Hildebrand is different than the song by Brian Adams. The Levin family undergoes dramatic events with the son in Vietnam, a daughter in protest, and dark secrets hiding beneath the surface. Wow. Yeah. Number two. Undercurrents by Nora Roberts. Detective Billy Idol has to. <laughs> no. Well, it's not. It'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> I'd read it. Yeah. Echoes of a violent childhood reverberate for Zane Bigelow when he starts a new family in North Carolina's Blue Ridge Mountains. Wow. Things have gone downhill for Deuce Bigelow, it sounds like. No, Zane Bigelow. Zane Bigelow. Yeah. Okay. He's, not, not, he's not using the nickname this isn't, anymore. Uh, Rob Schneider. Oh, this isn't Rob Schneider. No. This oh, is, uh, is oh, Nora Roberts' oh. undercurrents. Okay. Yeah. You okay. probably heard me say something else. I did. And I then did you heard indeed. Deuce Bigelow. Deuce Bigelow. Yeah. Male Gigolo. Two. Yep. Two. Whatever the second Three. one was called. I thought this was the you third You thought this was the I third one. I thought this one. was completing the Deuce Bigelow trilogy. Jeez. But. Where the Crawdads Sing is at number one by Delia Owens in a quiet town on the North Carolina coast in 1969. <gasps> Summer of 69. Oh, my gosh. For Brian Adams. A young Billy Idol. <laughs> a young woman who survived alone in a marsh becomes a murder suspect. Um, I Look. Yes? I'm tired of hearing about this book. Oh. I need Don't to. Like I that. need to read this book. Oh. Because this synopsis makes no sense to me. Like, what does that mean? It means at one point. Who survived. Like, she lived in the marsh. Uh-huh. And people are like, that marsh woman is a murderer. Maybe a murder happens in That's the marsh. That's all I have. That's Maybe all I somebody have. finds a body in but the marsh. how do you live in a marsh is what I want to know. Uh, I think you're slowly sinking. I just don't get it. Did, was she stranded in a marsh and then rescued? And then people were like, there's that marsh woman. I don't know. I don't know. I have to read it. That's Maybe what I'm saying. Maybe she comes from a... Long line of marsh dwellers. I guess so. And that's number one, huh? Let's do our interview with Lauren James. <laughs> Let's do it. Hey, play that creepy music. Oh, so creepy. All the books presents Author Spotlight. Sorry, everybody. I mean, it's it's Ben, the our musician. Yeah. He, he, he gives us tracks, and we don't question him. We, no, can't. we can't. We're not allowed. It's in it's his not, contract. It's in he, stone. He has uh, ironclad. Yeah, he's got a first look deal with us yeah. and any other music we bring in, yeah. and then we just can't question it. Okay. So 
Uh, so we were pretty silly to sign that. I think we were. Yeah. I think we were. Well, today we had the privilege of chatting with author Lauren James. Her book, The Loneliest Girl in the Universe, was our selection for our YA for Adults book club this year. Each year, Eric and I pick a YA book uh, to to focus on feature and, and market to adults because, as we've mentioned before, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of the interest in our YA collection is pretty expansive. One of the biggest ones in our system is primarily adult readers, mm-hmm. not exclusively, but but a lot of people sort of uh, go to that. So we try with this book yeah. club to pull out something that we think will have a broad appeal and focus on that. So this year with the space theme, a universe of stories, um, Eric settled on the loneliest girl in the universe. And I'm wondering, how did you come across this book? I just like the title. Yeah. I like the lonely little image. So just the one with the girl sitting at that window, looking out in space. Yeah. Looking real lonely. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, so. it's such an intriguing yeah. plot right away. I like the whole person by themselves on a spaceship yeah. concept. So it, it strikes me as something that would be a, perfect to adapt to like a long long form like podcast audio mm. version I, yeah. I think that would be excellent but anyway um we all really enjoyed How we the get book. the rights yeah, yeah let's figure it out we've all really enjoyed the book and so we reached out to lauren james who was willing to, to sit down and chat with us uh so i hope you enjoy the interview today eric and i are joined by author lauren james who is the author of the loneliest girl in the universe which is our pick for our uh, ya for adult sci-fi book club this time around lauren thanks for joining us no problem i'm very excited to be on the podcast great well, uh, we both really enjoyed the book. I know it's been popular with our patrons as well. So we thought uh, we'd ask you a few questions if you're game for that. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I just got to say, uh, I was impressed with just the math in the book. As we learned at 7 a.m. this morning, I'm not very good at figuring <laughs> out <laughs> when people are supposed to talk to each other. But um, I was just impressed with the way you were able to keep track of, okay, this call's coming from NASA, and so it's this much time. Was Did you have to, like... Do you have a chart trying to keep track of all that? (laughs) I do. That was one of the hardest parts. So when I came up with the idea, I thought it was going to be a really easy book to write because it was just going to be about one girl on her own on a spaceship. I thought it would end up being very quick and fast. And then I started writing it and realized that I would have to know like all of these calculations because when you've got spaceships talking to each other, the messages are sent by laser beams traveling at the speed of light. So you need to know how long they take to travel through space. And so I ended up having to make a 3000 line spreadsheet to calculate (laughs) on each day when a message will leave the ships and how long it will take to get back to Earth, which could be like eight months. And even if they reply immediately, it will take another eight months for a reply to get back to Romy, plus like the extra time she's traveled since then. Uh, And it got very complicated. I have a master's degree in chemistry and physics which helped a lot with that (laughs) I don't think I could have done it otherwise but um it was a lot of fun anyway although my copy editor was not impressed when I (laughs) sent over the spreadsheet (laughs) to try and prove that it was right (laughs) yeah well I mean I absolutely believe you had to have that spreadsheet because I found it really helpful just kind of looking and seeing you know where everybody was because really I mean you have two and then ultimately three almost different timelines happening at once, you know, because like what's happening on NASA is so far removed from everything else. So it's just a lot to keep track of. Yeah, and really you have like different conversations happening that aren't related to each other because they're sending messages out and not getting a reply for so many months that they're almost just trying to talk to themselves. So it ended up being quite an interesting way to write it. Yeah, well, I think you did an interesting thing with that where you know, her, Romy's purpose for writing was often, I don't know, I, it felt to me like it wasn't so much that she wanted a response. She just need to be, she needed to be talking. She needed to be having that human interaction, you know, almost more than she needed a response. Like she needed to go through that exercise of doing that normal thing. 
Yeah. When I was planning it, I was wondering whether to have the spaceship have some kind of artificial intelligence. But then I thought mm. it would take away a lot of the feeling of her being alone because she could just talk to the mm -hmm. AI or the robots. And that would almost step in for like human interaction. Right. And so I had to like make a very firm decision, even though I love writing about robots and stuff, to <laughs> not do it in this book because it would just undermine everything that I wanted to say. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I th I think I think you're right about that. But you know, you really feel that it's it's heavy that she's just alone, and not just that she's alone. You know, on a deserted island somewhere. I mean, she is more alone than anybody has ever been, and that that's <laughs> such a good hook to start the story. You know, because you really sympathize with the character. I think. Yeah, definitely, and it was definitely something that I really wanted to write about from a teenager's perspective because I can't, I think you can just feel so isolated when you're mm. growing up and you can't relate to anyone around you. So it was very easy to get in that mindset of having her be so isolated and also be a teenage girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you bring up her teenageriness, and I thought that um, that was something that throughout I would find myself occasionally feeling really frustrated with her because I'd just be like, oh, that's such a stupid decision, or you're, you're being so naive, you know, and um, it, it, uh, it really speaks to, I think, how genuine she is as just this teenager who's adrift <laughs> by herself. So I thought you did a really good job of capturing that, um, I don't know, that transition into you know she's sort of forced to become an adult much sooner than she should have to and so i thought you did a good job of balancing that that tightrope act of she she has all this responsibility and yet she lacks a lot of the experience and is a very naive character so what was that like to write well it was uh, really important to me that i had a character who had all of these like the training and skills so she was scientifically very proficient at what she had to do right. but she didn't believe in herself like she didn't trust herself to be able to do anything and felt like a big imposter and whenever it came down to an emergency situation she could deal with it but didn't think she could and because I, when I was studying science that was how I felt a lot of the time when I was doing science experiments and stuff that I had all these skills but I didn't believe in myself to do it mm. and I used to get really anxious about it and the only reason I relaxed was one day we were doing um an experiment and the professor told me that the science department had just bought a brand new centrifuge which is this giant piece of equipment about the size of a fridge that you put a little vial in and it spins around like a washing machine <laughs> at very high speed and separates out the molecules and you can analyze them and it had just cost the department £30,000 and I was going to be the first person to use it and they were very <laughs> proud of it <laughs> so I put my vial in it and set it off and it started spinning around and I wandered off back into the lab to do something else and I hear this big bang bang bang, oh bang and I run back and this whole thing is shaking from side to side and I've seen videos of these things and when they go out of control they can literally smash through walls oh, wow. so I run in and I turn it off at the socket and it slows down and when I open it up there's a massive dent inside of the metal barrel <laughs> <laughs> and when something like that happens, you can't really do anything except go and tell the professor that you broke the brand new 30,000 right. round centrifuge. Uh, and I was scared for weeks that I was going to be presented with a bill to pay oh, for yeah. it. Mm. And eventually I plucked up my courage and asked, like, what happened with the centrifuge? And they said it had been broken when it arrived. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't my fault. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I just, like, relaxed completely about doing stuff and tried to trust myself because things always go wrong and like they expect things to go wrong and they're not going to blame you when it does and you just have to react instinctively into the moment in the moment so I 
tried to put a lot of those feelings from when I was at uni into Romy and how she felt about being in charge of the spaceship. And hopefully it comes across in the same way that you believe that she does have the skills, but she's also like a very young girl. Yeah. Is, is there a particular challenge to writing a character who uh, has as much anxiety as her or, uh, you know, suffers from panic attacks? Because that could be... Uh, you know, depending on the level, that could be slightly crippling and uh, cause her to maybe not act. So is there a challenge to take that and then get her to act? Um, I think, again, a lot of it was just I was putting my own experience into it. So I never really thought about it as having her like having anxiety and all of these panic attacks as like a thing until I finished writing it. And I look back at it and I was like, yeah, she's a very anxious person. <laughs> um, but I think it makes it more interesting right if a character mm -hmm. doesn't want to do things that the cl plot clearly needs them to do and they're right. like rebelling against it the whole time um that's just as interesting a question as an external conflict if it's all internal so i just really leaned into that angle okay well it's it's the difference i think between you know skills which you can learn and emotional maturity which you just have to experience you know and so for her yeah to... you can only get it from talking to exactly. other humans which just can't do <laughs> exactly so it just it creates an interesting conflict within the character that she absolutely on paper has the ability to do these things and yet she still doesn't have that you know the 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 drive or the the confidence to do them easily so she has to she's constantly sort of at war with herself and overcoming that and she has all this training in the science side of stuff but in like the social side of stuff she just can't understand what other people are like talk saying at all she can't read subtext or right. look at motives behind messages she just has no experience at it so right. yeah Outside that was a really of, interesting uh, dynamic television yeah yeah right yeah yeah unless it's like a a cliche from a sitcom she has no chance <laughs> right, right well you know let's talk about that um the fiction aspect of this because Romy's fan fiction ultimately plays a pretty pivotal role in in the book, and you know, fan fiction as a medium is is I think pretty important to a lot of a lot of teens, a lot of young writers. It's where they really you know are finding their voice and get interesting in writing, and can sort of be a form of therapy, which I think you know is is a way in which Romy is using that as well. Um, I mean, we even have popular works of fiction that started their lives as as fan fiction. So, I guess my question is, um, what 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 exactly were you trying to tap into and in making that um, you know so so pivotal in in the story? And was that something that you had a background in? Were you a fan fiction writer? Yeah, definitely. So I grew up on the internet. Um, I'm 26 now. So I was like perfect time to be like the first generation doing fandom stuff on the internet. And I think it is a really big way that teenagers explore who they are for the first time, particularly their sexuality, like what they're doing mm -hmm. online is in a very private way. They're not threatened by anything. And I wanted to look at that from the angle of like, well, actually, the internet isn't anonymous as you think and people can look at what you're doing and you should be a bit more careful. But also I just thought it would be a really interesting way to have her like processing her feelings because mm -hmm. she doesn't have anyone to talk to. She doesn't have like she could keep a diary, but uh, I didn't want her to look too closely at her own feelings. I wanted right. there to be a bit of um, something obscuring it. So I thought having her kind of write these self-insert fan fictions where she, she thinks she's writing about characters, but it's very clear to the reader that 
what she's writing about is just the situation she is in and the circumstances of things that are happening in her life that she's trying to process through the lens of the TV show. I thought it would be an interesting way to explore her uh, growing emotional <laughs> troubles yeah. as the story goes on. Not to spoil it, but yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah. has a hard time with it. <laughs> well, absolutely, because it, it serves as a way for her to sort of externalize and, and get that distance to kind of work through things that, like you're saying, like she, she probably wouldn't... Uh be open enough like with herself to really like think about those things so this this i thought provided a good way for her to do that with uh, mm. with a little bit of a safety net and they did in the first draft they got really dark my agent had to be like you can't go this far you have to <laughs> tone it down a bit so yeah at one time like she was yeah really going through it with those but mm. i had to make it a bit, <laughs> a bit less terrifying <laughs> well that leads well into my next question and that was i wondered if um you had any trouble um like had you always set out to to write this as a YA novel and when you when you got down to writing did you have any trouble uh it it felt like like there's so much going on that the book could have been twice as long and you would have had plenty of stuff to do was it challenging to get it in that in that form that is interesting because when I started it, I thought it would be a short story. I didn't really? think there'd be enough oh, okay. story to bring it to YA length. And um, then like YA novels can be as short as 50,000 words right. anyway. So I was like, I'm just going to give it a go and see if I can get it <laughs> up there and um, into a novel length. But then when I was writing it, I did uh, like find actually like there's a lot of story here that I could just keep going and make it a, a even longer. Um, but I wanted to keep it very like shocking and heart hitting and, um, I am writing a sequel, so I will carry on her story. Uh, Uh, but I thought it was a good place to end it there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. It does reach a good conclusion. Well, uh, yeah. And I think as for it being a YA book, um, I started writing it when I was 21. So I was really just writing it for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I um, am still writing young adult fiction now. Uh, but I'm very interested in what young adult fiction is, really, because it's such a wide category and right. you can get so many different genres within it that I don't really understand, even as an author of it, <laughs> what it means. Because um, mm. you can really deal with any content in YA if you handle it respectfully. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any boundaries. So. Um, I don't know if I will be writing YA forever or mm-hmm. what, if it will even be called YA in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very interested to see as it evolves, where it goes. Yeah, well, we uh, it seems like in our YA collection, in our library, a lot of the, the biggest fans of it are adults, you know, so it really, it does have a, it's a genre that has a very broad appeal. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it does say a lot about like the the internet raised uh, generations that are coming up. That there is such a crossover in fiction, and um, audiences c- are clearly looking for things in adult fiction that aren't there. Yeah. The one one of the things that I really enjoyed about reading it is because you start the book and you, you just I didn't have a clear I didn't have a real sense of like I don't know what my expectations were but uh, I didn't expect it to become the the page turner that it was and you had a similar experience in Jerry yeah this this is slightly spoilery so if you're just listening for the interview which you haven't read the loneliest girl in the universe go do that now <laughs> Pause. Uh, it becomes a very quick read uh, once uh, once the twist starts to happen so uh, you can go do that and then come back. But uh, my, my question is, did you always plan on the book kind of taking the turn that it does? Because at the beginning, it, it seems like it's just going to be this like meditation on uh, human loneliness and anxiety. And then it becomes 
almost a slasher film. Yeah, I mean, it really becomes a thriller. You really, I mean, I, I think yeah. you did too, but I, I buzzed through the last half of this so quickly because yeah. I was just like, what's going to happen? What's yeah, happening? It, it becomes a, uh, it, it does, it becomes a thriller that uh, becomes a real, real page turner because uh, you, you, as soon as you start not trusting the situation, you just you're just terrified uh, of what's going to happen next, and then it it does it becomes like this claustrophobic uh, slasher film. So I was wondering, did you always have that intention, or maybe did you have the intention of the more horror leaning first, and then you're like, oh, I could put her on a spaceship by herself. Which what came first, or was it all as one at the beginning? Um, so I had an original, I remember having an original image in my mind of uh, a girl being chased around a spaceship and mm -hmm. sometimes she'd be running and sometimes she'd be floating and trying to drag herself through like storage oh. boxes because right. um, I'd read about artificial gravity, how it, the, when you have uh, gravity being created by a centrifuge, you're going to have different amounts of force in different places. So you would be floating and sometimes you'd be running. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be a really cool location for a horror scene and I'd never seen it. Um, but originally I pitched it as, um, so it was going to be about, um, a second spaceship coming to meet hers and the person on board was going to be a convicted murderer. Mm. So she knew from the start that he was like, um, a very dangerous person and he'd been sent because like he had the death penalty and he might as well live his life in space supervising this ship instead. So originally it was going to be from the start. She was very conflicted as she was getting to know this person while also knowing what an awful person they were. Um, and then as I was writing it, I realized that, uh, it would be just a lot more shocking if she didn't know and mm -hmm. uh, started pushing that twist back and back and back uh, until I found the right place for it and it went through a lot of my edits weren't necessarily rewriting stuff they were just moving things around because mm -hmm. that uh, it's in such short diary entries that you really can put them in an infinite number of orders mm -hmm. of when things happen and so a lot of the time was just trying to find out the right way to make it fit where you were kept reading but also you were surprised at the maximum moment yeah. so yeah it was a bit of a challenge well it's you know it's it's layered in there i think from the beginning and even even before you know some of the some of the big developments come there is just a general air of um an eeriness a spookiness to it you know yeah. due in part to her isolation and it's just this big ship and she keeps sort of um giving you little hints mentioning the astronauts mentioning situations with her parents and things and um, I liked as a reader the way you sort of layered those in because, you know, I never felt impatient, like, just tell me already, you know, but I was always curious, <laughs> like, as that unfolded, what, what it could be. Um, so I, I thought, I thought the layering of that worked really well. Oh, that's good to hear. Cause when I was writing it, I was very worried that I was teasing things and not actually giving the reader <laughs> information and it was hard to find the line of frustrating them and intriguing them. So I'm glad it worked. How do you, um... How do you balance trying uh, trying to convince the the reader that Jay is trustworthy while also hinting that he's not? Because uh, my my wife, she's like, I don't. At the beginning, she's like, I don't really trust this Jay. He seems too convenient. <laughs> but for me, I was like, Oh, I think this is I, this book is going for like a romantic comedy kind of vibe. And then I was kind of surprised. <laughs> it's like Jay, no. So how do you balance? Uh, how do you balance that the hinting versus uh, also trying to convince the author, uh, the reader, that you're going a different direction? 
it's so interesting because so many readers say both of those things like there's no clear way that people interpret it some people know immediately and some people don't even believe it after that you've been told he's bad they think that it's going to be another twist and he'll come out turn out to be good and i, I, think I almost it is believed you when uh oh when yeah she... when the message came with the mint green wall yeah i was like oh okay maybe he's he's changed his ways and then no he he tricked her and me again <laughs> Uh, I, so I think it is just down to the reader, and um, I think that what's make what makes it fun. I think I when I'm reading, uh, I'm always pleased if I can guess the twist. I'm not annoyed that I've guessed it too early. Right. I feel very proud of myself, and I feel like the reader, uh, the writer, has put in enough information f- to make it a puzzle that you can solve. Mm-hmm. And then when there's a twist that doesn't feel justified that they haven't built up to it feels like a bit of a letdown yeah. um so i don't i don't mind when people guess it early i think that that means i've done my job as an author that i've laid the groundwork for them to use their deductive skills what i think is fun about it, it you know at the end when you're trying to figure out what's happening is that i think most people would have a sense that something is not right you know right like but but there's there's a lot of fun and i you know i went through a lot of different things like well maybe this is true and this isn't or you know maybe this is really the so there's I think there's a lot of pieces in there that you know you might you might be able to guess that something is definitely amiss Mm -hmm. but there's there's options on what it exactly is so I I liked that I thought that was fun it makes it hard to talk about because you really need to say nothing at all so that you don't rule out any possibilities for the reader (laughs) as what might be going on. I'm sure sure that was challenging. So how did the sequel come along? Was that something that you wanted to do or publishers requested or how how did that happen? A bit of both. Uh, Immediately people were asking what happened afterwards and where Romy went next. Um, uh, And I obviously wanted to know as well. Uh, I was very keen to find out where she went because I had a bit of an idea, but it's not the same as writing it and yeah. seeing it actually happen. Uh, a... And then I got an idea. So I was like, okay, I can do this now. Cause I know I've got like a, something that could happen during the story. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm working on the first draft at the minute. Oh, first draft. Okay. So we're, so we're maybe a year or so away from seeing that. Yeah. A bit of a while. Okay. I've got a few more books coming out before then. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about those a little bit. So the quiet at the end of the world came out in the UK in March. So okay. it's been out for a few months and it's about the last boy and girl born after humans stop being able to conceive. So oh. they're the youngest people on the planet and they're growing up uh, in a community, a very small community of the last surviving people who are all about 80. So a lot older than them. Oh. And they're they grow up knowing that they're going to die quite soon and they're going to the boy and girl are going to be left alone on earth and watch the human race go extinct so it's kind of a comfort read of a post-apocalyptic novel (laughs) (laughs) i wanted it to feel very gentle and soft and a really like um heartwarming look at humanity and the Mm -hmm. goodness of humanity in that kind of situation because i don't believe if we could see our extinction coming over hundreds of years we would react with panic and writing i think uh we would find a way to make the best of that situation and care for each other and so i wanted to write about that uh and so it's just about them living their lives what they do with their days when they what do you do as a teenager when you know that you're going to grow up and you can't achieve anything with your life you might as well do nothing uh and how do you find a way to feel like your life is meaningful and honor all the Uh, generations that have come before you that you now represent with your life and also about what uh, extinction and evolution means for humans in the age of technology that sounds exciting so you said that's only available in the uk at this point right 
Yes, yeah, so you can get it on Book Depository worldwide and uh, other uh, country releases will follow. But so far, it's just out in the UK. Okay. But do you think uh, they, and... are, they are lined up for a US release down the road, do you think? Uh, I think so, but it, it's uh, on such a advanced schedule that it's it won't be for a year or two okay. uh, anyway, just because <laughs> everything is a lot slower in America. <laughs> um, and then I also have a novella which has just come out, um, which is aimed at dyslexic readers. Uh, so it's written in a uh, dyslexia-friendly font, and oh, okay. the sentence structure is designed to be very easy to read. And it's printed on um, thick cream paper that doesn't have any shadowing from the page before. So it's designed to be a very friendly book um oh, that's great and it's great uh, aimed at a teenage audience with a reading age of eight so it's a novella about a android and an alien on a planet that is a universal alien academy uh, for people to come and learn and they just go on an adventure uh, so it's, it was very fun to write very different to my other books and the title of that one was the starlight Watchmaker. oh that's okay sorry that's starlight Watchmaker. yeah okay great um, well, I mean, those both sound really exciting. So I hope uh, I hope someday yeah. I can get copies in our library because yeah. I definitely <laughs> want to read them. Uh, you mentioned you started writing when you were 21. Was that right? Yeah. So I started The Loneliest Girl when I was 21. But I started my first novel, The Next Together, when I was 16. And then it got published when I was 20. Okay. So, so The Loneliest Girl in the Universe is my third book. So you're... you're uh, you're a young writer then. Um, what, do, yeah. you, do you have, uh, can you give advice to uh, younger writers as well um, to finish a novel, to start a novel, uh, you know, at a younger age? When I was 15, I, I just dreamt like, all right, when I'm 16, I'm going to have a book published. And, you know, I look back, I'm like, that's not reasonable. But then we, we meet people like you who made that a reality. So is there is there a piece of advice you can give? I think I was always a really big reader. I would go to my library with like my library card, my mum's, my dad's and my brother's and get out the maximum number of books and read them all <laughs> and get some more the next week. So I was like reading everything I could get my hands on. And it did just get to the point where I wanted to read things that didn't exist. So right. my writing was purely selfish. I was just writing for me because uh, right. I wanted to read this book uh, and so that really was a big motive to get to the end because I wanted to know what happened so I think my big advice would be to read everything because you learn as much from bad writing as you do from good writing mm -hmm. in terms of like what not to do <laughs> and also to make sure that you're writing a book that you are genuinely passionate about and not just you really like the characters or you really like a sci-fi story but it that in every scene there's something that captures your imagination that, and that you want to see on the page because that's the only way you can get to the end as if you are constantly writing forward to that thing that you're anticipating happening soon and you want to get to so uh, I, what I did was I went and sat in front of my bookshelves and made a list of all of my favorite things from my favorite books mm -hmm. and just stole them and tried to put them in <laughs> as many scenes as possible and sure. it really was a great motivation to finish the draft so that would be my advice okay great thank you uh, well, Lauren, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Like I said, we, we both enjoyed the book and the early reviews from those in our book club have been really enjoying it as well. So I know we're going to have a good discussion and I hope that you'll come back and talk to us when the sequel comes out. Thank you so much. It's <laughs> nice to be able to talk about it and actually like reveal things that happen as well. Yeah. Usually yeah. I have to do it in a very spoiler friendly way. So yes, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we will, uh, we'll make sure that uh, it, people know that they should read the book first. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, is there a good place for people to find you online? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Lauren underscore E underscore James. And I'm on Instagram at Lauren Eliz James, E-L-I-Z James. 
Okay, great. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. And we're back. She was great to chat with, so we really yeah. appreciate uh, being able to pick her brain and talk about that. Looking forward to her upcoming books. We hope it's not too slow for them to come to uh, the U.S. so we can have it yeah. here in our collection. Yeah, that's frustrating. Uh, Lauren mentioned where you can find her online, but I also mm-hmm. wanted to mention uh, her new podcast, Dog-Eared Pages, which you can find on SoundCloud or mm-hmm. any of the places that you get your podcasts. You can find that. It's a it's a podcast she does with another author, Lucy Powery, so hope you check that out and enjoy that. If you Remember, haven't read the book... Yeah. Uh, you shouldn't have listened to that interview, but you still should read the book because it was a lot of fun and we really enjoyed <laughs> reading it and talking to the author. It was a hit with the book club as yeah. well. So uh, I think that's going to do it, except for some library news. You got anything yeah. well, you want to mention? Well, uh, at the time of recording, this is our last week of the summer reading program. Yes, it is. So we're almost done, but we're showing... Uh, what, what day is it? So we're showing on the 2nd, August 2nd, we're showing Five Feet Apart. The one oh, about those teenagers with can't get close. Yeah. Uh, but we also have two weeks of our summer reading fo- uh, program left. It's almost prize time. That's it's true. Almost time it's almost time to hand out the prizes. Yeah, so yeah. pay attention to I that. I think the most po- actually the most uh, popular prize right now is the one where we're giving away. Uh, it's like three three young adult books. We're giving away, it. You get Dear Evan Hansen, the novelization. Okay. Five Feet Apart, the book, and uh, I think it's The Sun Is Also a Star, the book. Okay. Which uh, recently had movies. On the other side of things, we have the Lunch on the Terrace every Tuesday, mm. uh, which has been hugely popular so far. We've been very fortunate with weather, so we hope that holds. Yeah. Farmer's Market is here every uh, Saturday. Uh, we've got Music on the Lawn every Thursday. We have mm-hmm. our book clubs, which are currently reading uh, House on Mango Street. We're doing a three-part uh, mm-hmm. book club focusing on authors from Mexico. We're going to be meeting over at the Creative Arts Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have uh, Shake on the Lake coming to present mm-hmm. the... Um, which is not a dance group. It's not. Which is no, what I thought like it was. Shakespeare. Yes, Shakespeare I get it now. On the Lake Spear. Yeah. They're oh, going to be Lake here. <laughs> That's right. They're going to be set up Monday. The show's going to start at 6.30. You can come bring your lawn chair or whatever you want. Uh, anytime before that, the lawn is always open. If it's rainy, we're just going to move down to the auditorium, but we're hoping mm-hmm. that there's not going to be rain. Um, this is a great, abridged, a little bit of a modernized version of of the show. So even if you're not a huge Shakespeare fan, mm-hmm. something here to enjoy. Did you almost I, say Spade Sheer? Like I think I did. David like Spade a David doing Spade. a Shakespeare production? I would do that in a minute. But uh, <laughs> if you're not a huge Shakespeare fan, I still think you'll find something to enjoy here. Mm-hmm. The performances are always good. And I've heard pretty much universal praise about the Shake on the Lake performances in the past. Mm. I've never heard from somebody who was like, yeah, I went. It was terrible. So you know who that I've was? I've never heard that. That was David Spade. Because of this oh, competing okay. Shakespeare production. You know what? My uh-huh. brother, Stephen, who's joined uh-huh. us on many episodes in the past, yeah. actually saw the Perry performance of this and was very impressed with it. Huh? So there you go. That's one positive review so far. Hope you'll join us for Shake on the Lake. Yeah. Hope you'll join us for the book club. My, uh, uh, my past self mm-hmm. once saw Just Shoot Me for a whole bunch of seasons with oh, David yeah. Spade. Isn't it just you current? It's not like a past life situation. No. You just watch the show. Yeah. Once Just when I was younger. Me. When you were younger. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, hope you'll join us for any and all the events going on here. Look up Lauren James online. Read mm-hmm. this book. Read her other books. Listen to her podcast. Keep looking to the stars. That's right. <laughs> Thanks again to Lauren James. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.